At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, friends, today we're going to be launching into a new sermon series. And as we begin this series, I'm just mindful of the fact that we have been inside of this COVID-19 season for a while. Now, I realize this virus has been on the earth for longer than just a few weeks, but this is now our seventh Sunday in this format. So for seven weeks, this has been the method that we have connected uh, in worship together. And I just think about that seven weeks and what that means and what it represents You know, when this whole trial began, uh, some of us may have thought of it like a snow day. It was just a weekend or uh, a couple of days that were going to be interrupted. But pretty soon we saw that 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 snow day actually turned into a blizzard of some kind uh, when it went from just a weekend of cancellations to through the end of March. But then not only was it a blizzard, but we began to see that it's more like a winter. It's a, it's a longer season as we went through the end of March and now all the way through the month of April. Not only has it been like a, like a, a snowstorm or a blizzard or a winter, but it's beginning to feel a little like an ice age. Can I get an amen out there from someone? It's a little bit like an ice age because we don't know how long it will be until things like vaccinations are available Um, and those kinds of of treatments seem further and further out sometimes as we think about it. And so when we have seen that metamorphosis, even in our own minds, going from a snow day to an ice age, how we approach this crisis changes in each of those seasons. You know, if if it's a snow day, we just hunker down for a weekend. If it's a blizzard, we hunker down for a few days more. If it's a winter, we may adjust our patterns a little bit, but not all that much. But friends, if this is an ice age that is impacting us for seven weeks now and counting, then we need to ask some different questions related to this time in crisis. And the different question that I really think we need to be asking right now is is not when will this end, but how do I grow inside of this season? What does it look like for me to to grow in the midst of this COVID-19 spring? Now, when I ask that question, some of you are thinking, yeah, I know how we grow in this COVID-19 season. We grow in anxiety. We grow in debt. We grow in unemployment. We grow in death totals. We grow in uncertainty. And because we can't go to the gym, we may even grow in our waistline. I mean, think about it. When we think of growing in this season, we often think of negative kinds of things. But here's the thing. I believe it is possible in this time and in this season for us to grow in a positive way. It's instead of growing down, instead grow up to grow spiritually in the midst of this very season in which we're living. Now, when we think of growing spiritually in our lives in the midst of this season, what would that even look like? What would it look like for us to grow up spiritually at this time? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some indication of that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. 
In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, the Apostle Paul lets us know the spiritual growth that he saw in the lives of his friends in Thessalonica. This is how he described it. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Do you see how he described their spiritual growth? He said that the spiritual growth of his friends in Thessalonica was demonstrated in a growing faith that they had in God and a growing love that they had for one another. So when I think about us growing spiritually in this time and in this season, I think about how can we increase our faith in God and love for others during this pandemic. And over the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at these two ideas. This Sunday, talking about how do we grow our faith in God in the midst of this season, and next Sunday, how do we grow in our love for others. So that's our plan today. Now, today, as we talk about increasing our faith in God at this time, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Now, James 1, 2 through 8 is an amazing section of God's Word. It was written by James, obviously the the author of the letter. But when we think about who James is, James is the half-brother of Jesus and a leader in the early church. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because John chapter 7 tells us that during Jesus' earthly life, James was a doubter. James did not believe that his half-brother was the Son of God. But something happened to take James from one who doubted to the one who became a leader in the movement that Jesus began. Not only did it make James a leader in that, but James became convinced that Jesus was not just his half-brother, but Jesus was his Lord, Jesus his God. And so we're going to look at what James has to say about growing in the midst of difficulty, about increasing our faith in God at moments just like this one. And we're going to see that today in James 1, verses 2 through 8. So if you've got a Bible, open up to James 1. We're going to spend the balance of our time today in those few verses. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and try to make sense of them in a couple of movements today. James 1, beginning in verse 2, says this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see a couple of things about how we can grow in our faith in God in times like this. The first thing I want us to see is this. I I want us to do the math. I want us to do the math. Now, I'm not someone who likes math, but there is a kind of math that we all need to do, and James reminds us of that in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. 
Now, where do we see that? What am I talking about? Well, in James 1, beginning in verse 2, we're reminded that trials are coming. We're reminded that trials are coming. And, and these trials are certain. It's not as though James says, hey, maybe you'll experience some difficulties. James says, you will experience trials. James says in verse 2, we just saw it, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials. He says, when you meet trials, they are something that is going to come and be common in the lives of all who follow Christ. I think it's also demonstrated in the way that James began his letter. In verse 1, I didn't read that verse for us, but I want to just have your eyes look back up the page a little bit at how James addresses this letter. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Dispersion meaning scattered. He's writing this to Jewish people who have believed in Jesus, but who are living in a number of different locations, people who are scattered about. James writes this letter not to those sheltered, not to those protected from all trials. James writes this letter to those who are scattered, those who are experiencing trials of various kinds. He says to them, when you meet trials, you, you scattered people. And, and friends, what I think about today, I mean, it's, it's obvious why I'm looking at this passage, why God brought this passage to mind, isn't it? We're going through trials. We're scattered. We're not sheltered. We may be sheltering in place, but we're scattered in the midst of a pandemic. Not only does he say when you meet trials, not only does he write this to the scattered, but also James understood the teaching of Jesus and the teaching that the Apostle Paul would echo in Acts 14 also that, that is certain that trials will come to the followers of Christ. Jesus said as much in John 16, we will experience trials and difficulties in this life. It's something that is common to all of us. If you're experiencing a trial right now, and, and who isn't? Know that it is an experience common to all of us, that we're going to be going through trials. Now, where do these trials come from? Where do they come from? Well, some of the trials that we experience in this life happen because we're human. We make mistakes. We're working on a project and we bang our thumb. We're driving our car, we get distracted, and we have an accident. There are things and trials that happen in our lives because we're human. There are other kinds of trials that happen because we're Christian. Because we're followers of Christ, there are some who would seek to oppose what God is doing in the world, and persecution comes to a number of followers of Jesus, including some of you, including people who are living in different parts of the world right now. Some of the trials happen in our lives because we're human. Some happen because we're Christian. Some happen because of our actions. There's discipline that comes in our lives from the Lord when we disobey Him at times, not to punish us unto death, but to discipline us unto life. At times, there are trials that we experience because of our actions. At times, there are trials that we experience because of our environment, because we live in a fallen world that has things like viruses and economies that go up and down. 
Friends, we are experiencing trials that come from a number of different sources. And so the question is, which of those trials is James referring to in James chapter 1? Well, what does he say? He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Literally, the, the word in the original language that lies behind that translation, various kinds, is a word that means multicolored. Trials and challenges of all shapes and sizes, of all colors and tones, whether it's because of our actions, whether it's because of the environment we live in, whether it's because we're a Christian and we're being persecuted, whether it's because we live in a body that is decaying and will not live forever in its current form, whatever reason it is, James is writing to us when we experience various trials. He writes to us who are experiencing various trials trials of various kinds, and he asks us to do the math about those challenges that we are experiencing. That word at the beginning of the verse, count it, is an accounting kind of word. He, He is challenging us to do the math about the trials that we are experiencing. Well, what is he asking us to do? He is asking us to count or to consider the trials that we go through as all joy. Now, that is a challenging request, isn't it? Tom Constable, Bible scholar, says this about this. He says, most people count it all joy when they escape trials, and they count it all grief when they have to endure them. Does that resonate with anybody? Resonates with me? I mean, I I'm excited when a trial just misses us, not when I'm in the midst of it, not when it's weighing heavy upon my back. And yet, what the, the Apostle James, what James wants us to, to understand and to think about here is he wants us to count it all joy when the trial comes, not when the trial misses us. Now, how is it possible, friends, for you and I to do the math for something as expensive and as painful as a trial and determine that it is joyous. I mean, that, that makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense. How can we say that it is joyous when we are experiencing trials of various kinds? After all, our grief and our suffering, our pain, our loss... It's expensive. It costs us something. But what James is inviting us to do, friends, is to compare the cost of our suffering, the cost of our trials, to what it produces in us. Now, this is a concept that is familiar to us. We are used to paying large sums for things that are important to us, to things that are valuable. I mean, I paid more for my house than I paid for a Slurpee at 7-Eleven, right? One of them is far more valuable than the other. I've gotten used to giving more money for things that are more valuable. Things that are valuable can be more expensive, and I still see it as worth it. I spent more for my car than, than, I, than I do for the pair of shoes that I'm wearing because I'm, the car is more important to me in terms of the longevity that it has in my life, it matters. 
Now, when we think about the current environment in which we live, friends, we, we need to remember that the difficulties that we're going through, though they are expensive, though they are painful, they actually lead to something very valuable. They lead to something very important, something that you and I all want. See, I believe that you want what I want, and that is to grow spiritually. Why do I believe that? I believe that in part because here you are watching your television on a Sunday morning at 11.35. You're you're looking at a screen because you have a desire to grow in your relationship with God. I believe it because you're getting up in the morning and you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're gathering with other believers on a Zoom screen and, and all of those things in this time and season and you can't wait to get back together. Why? Because we have a desire to grow spiritually. And what James is reminding us, friends, is that 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 we value so much, that spiritual growth that we value so much, it comes on the other side of trials. That's one of the methods, one of the ways that God grows us. So the trial that we go through is not just a loss, it is tuition, something that we, we, we pay in order to get something that we desire. God grows us in the midst of that. Well, what specifically does this passage tell us that God grows in us as we go through trials? Well, let's look. The first thing that he grows in us as we go through trials is faith. Or better yet, our faith is revealed. What we really believe shows up in moments of trial and difficulty. This idea of testing our faith is like taking uh, an impure metal and heating it up to get rid of that which is not pure, so that all that is left is is the gold or the the iron or whatever it is that we desire in that. We, We melt away the excess and we reveal what is true. In the same way, James says that when we go through these various trials, we need to do the math and and understand that this trial, part of what God is doing in it, is he is revealing to us the true faith that we have, that we would trust him and believe in him even when life is hard, not just when we get what we want, not just when it is easy. The first thing that we see is that we demonstrate or we see our faith tested and revealed when we go through something difficult. Second thing that he talks about, though, is that in the midst of trials, a steadfastness is produced inside of us. Now, steadfastness is a hard word to say, and it's twice in these verses I just read. So I just want to just praise the Lord that I got through that in the earlier reading of this passage. But what does it mean when it says here that there's a steadfastness that comes on the other side of a trial. Well, the idea of being steadfast is the idea of enduring, of being able to stand in the midst of a storm. It's a strength that is revealed over time. That's what happens when we encounter various trials is we get strength built inside of us. Now, friends, none of you wants to be weak. We all want to have a robust spiritual life. We all want to have a strength of character. That's a desire that you have. It's a desire that I have. 
How does God produce that? He produces it not in a greenhouse, but he produces it on the side of a hill that is whipped about by the wind and the waves. In the midst of a storm, a steadfastness is produced inside of you and inside of me. We need to do the math when we are experiencing a trial because it is producing a strength inside of us that is revealed over time. You know, in our lives, we're challenged, aren't we? We're challenged with an impatience. We want quick fixes to things. I mean, what's the way out of the COVID-19 crisis? We want somebody to give us a shot so that it goes away immediately. We, we want a quick fix to things. Is there some ability to solve this problem in two minutes, not in two years? We're impatient that way. And yet most things of great value in our lives have been built and grown over time. The depth of relationship, the strength of our character, our knowledge of God, it has all grown and developed in real time, day by day by day. James writes and he says, friends, I want you to do the math when you're experiencing various trials, and I want you to know that this trial is buying for you a strength of character that you could not receive any other way. Not only does he say that it tests our faith, and not only does he say that it produces steadfastness inside of us, but that steadfastness and strength leads to a couple of things. It leads to what James calls being perfect. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we never make mistakes? No, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. He's not talking about that kind of perfect but he is talking about a perfection in the sense of a maturity. That in the midst of a trial, we can count it joyous because we believe that what it is producing inside of us is a maturity in our faith. Who do you turn to in the midst of a struggle? Who do you want to talk to when when life is falling apart? Well, somebody that has some maturity about them, right? Somebody that has some wisdom. How do we become that kind of person that has that kind of perspective, that has that kind of maturity that is able to weather storms? Well, it happens, friends, as we go through various trials. It produces in us a maturity in Christ. When life is easy, the roots are shallow. When life is hard, the roots are forced to go deep. Maturity comes in trials. Not only that, but he says that this maturity comes will be complete. By complete, he means all-encompassing in all of the areas of our lives. In other words, we don't just grow in our head knowledge, but as we go through challenges and trials, God works on other aspects of our life. He works on our hands in our feet, in their response in serving others. God grows us in times like this. God, God grows our, our heart affections in times like this. You know, when I'm in the midst of a trial, my emotions are, are, are more engaged, aren't yours? I remember when my wife had a kidney transplant a number of years ago, and I was driving back about midnight. Uh, she was in the ICU. I had to come home in the evening time. I'm driving 
uh, home from Oklahoma City where she was. And I remember listening to, to worship music at that time. And I remember weeping in my car, driving back to my house, thankful to the Lord for what he was doing. Friends, in that moment, my faith in God was not just in my intellect, but it was in my heart in that moment. Now, there were other moments where I'm asking questions and I'm struggling and I'm wrestling, but my point is God is producing a completeness in us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and in our lives as we go through various trials. It's what God is doing. So in the midst of the trial, we need to do the math and understand that it is joyous to go through that trial because God is producing within us a real faith with real strength, with real maturity that is encompassing every area of our lives. Now, when we go through these trials, though, even knowing that the trial is the tuition we pay for those products that we desire, it is still challenging and hard. Warren Wearsby reflected on it this way. I think this quote is extremely powerful. It's worth reading a couple of times for you later. I'll post it to my blog. Uh, You can look at this quote, but he says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we'll not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter and not better. Wow, what a statement, right? What a statement. The trial will reveal to us what we truly value the most. And I think that part of the challenge that some of us are experiencing right now, friends, is that we are realizing that we care more about comfort than we thought. Part of the reason why we're bucking under the pressure of this moment is because we just want our lives to be comfortable. We want them to go back to the way that they were. And I understand that. I, I want that in my life too. But, but in the midst of that desire to return to some normalcy, normalcy, let's not just return to normalcy who we used to be. Let's return to normalcy with a depth of character that is greater than where we began. If we really value the spiritual more than the material, then we can have joy even in the midst of a trial because God is at work in our hearts and in our lives in these moments. Tony Evans, uh, in his way of producing analogies has a a wonderful thought about this. He says, God applies the iron of trials to the wrinkles of our lives so that Jesus Christ looks good wearing us. God applies the iron of trials to the wrinkles of our lives so that Jesus Christ looks good wearing us. Friends, we've got wrinkles in our lives, right? You know, I, I, uh, uh, getting ready for today, uh, it's not an, an unusual thing. My wife came to me yesterday and said, what are you wearing tomorrow? I want to make sure that I press it so that it looks good. And I said, I, I'm going to wear this shirt. And, and so she pressed it. And after she was done pressing it, knowing that I was wearing a blazer, she said, I only pressed the front. I didn't press the sleeves. I didn't press the back. I just pressed the front. And Kimberly's going, why are you telling the world this? This is on YouTube. But, but here's, here's why I say that. Because There's only so much you see of this, right? And and sometimes we spend times only pressing the things that people see so that our lives look put together. And we cover up the rest 
by running away to anonymity. But friends, right now in this time and in this season, I think God wants us to remove the jacket a little bit, right? He wants to press out those spots of our lives that we have concealed from others. He wants to bring about a completeness the maturity that he is bringing inside of us, the the strength that he is building into us at this time. When I think about what God wants to do growing us up in this season, he wants to grow our faith, he wants to reveal it, he wants to make us mature and strong and well-rounded followers of him. And if he is doing that, and I believe he is, if he is doing that inside of this season, then we can be joyous, friends, because this trial is producing for us, is bringing us the things that we desire the most. What's that looking like in your lives right now? Is that a perspective you've forgotten about? Is it a perspective that you're challenged with today? I think that James 1, 2 to 4 lets us know that. But it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's hard to have that perspective We're really challenged to have a perspective, to have a kind of a wisdom that looks at a trial and counts it joy because of what it is producing inside of us. It's much easier for us to look at trials and count them as loss or as grief. What happens if you're sitting in your living room right now and you're not able to count it joy? What are you to do? Well, James continues and he tells us. He tells us if we are lacking this kind of a perspective, then we're to ask God for it. We're to pray for wisdom. Oftentimes, verses 5 through 8 that we're getting ready to look at have been exacto knifed out of the Bible and put on a flip-over calendar to mean whatever it is we want them to mean so that we can take the teaching of James 1, 5 through 8 and make it be about physical healing, make it be about some other thing that we want, material possessions or whatever, thinking that if we just believe it strong enough that God will give it to us, if we don't believe it strong enough, God won't give it to us. But that kind of teaching, friends, does not do justice to what James tells us inside of James 1. What James tells us inside of James 1 is that when we are in the midst of a trial and we are counting it grief instead of gain, When we are experiencing loss and not joy, what are we to do? We are to go before the Lord and we are to pray for wisdom. Now, what does it mean to pray for wisdom? To pray for wisdom means to to go before the Lord and pray that we would get his understanding of our situation, that we would adopt in our, our, our minds and in our hearts And in our practice, that we would adopt the perspective about our struggles that is consistent with the way the Lord sees it. It's not natural, friends, for us to go through a trial and count it joy. We're not masochists. We were supposed to to, to not just endure it because we like pain. We just understand that that pain is producing in us something greater. James says, if you struggle to understand that, then go before the Lord and ask God, to give us that kind of a perspective. You know, when you're going through a challenge or you're praying for a friend who is going through a challenge, what do you pray for them? Well, often we'll pray for their healing. We'll pray for their provision of some kind. Um, We'll pray that they might be encouraged. 
But how often do we pray for them to have wisdom? How often do we pray that for ourselves? How often do we pray that we would see and understand this current trial that we're going through through the lens of what God might be doing in us in the midst of this time? James says that's a prayer that can lead to joy. Why? Because that's a prayer that God always answers. There's times that people get sick and they die. We pray for healing, and it's not answered the way that we want it to be answered. There are times that the economy is looking rocky, and it looks like we might lose our job, and we pray that we won't lose our job, and then we lose our job. There are times when we're used to a certain standard of living, and we're praying that God keeps our standard of living where it is, and then it doesn't happen that way. And when we pray for healing or we pray for prosperity, we can pray those things, but we have no guarantee that we'll receive those things in this life. But what James reminds us is that our joy in the midst of a trial is not tied to getting the stuff that we want. It's tied to us seeing what is happening the way God sees it. Understanding that it is producing within us strength and character and completeness, and faith. Friends, if we lack that, and let's be honest, who doesn't, at least from time to time? Me, more often than not. What are we to do? We're to go before the Lord, and we're to ask Him to give it to us. Now, when we ask, think about how God will respond. When you go and think about asking God for his perspective on your current trial, how do you think he receives that? You think he sits up there with his arms folded and goes, I can't believe you're asking me this again. I can't believe that you have been a believer in me for 30 years, Mark Robinson, and yet today you're asking for my perspective. I mean, come on, I gave it to you in 2010. I gave it to you in 2012. Why do I need to give it to you again? Get your act together. That's the way we think, isn't it? (laughs) But is that the way the passage says God is? No, the God of the Scripture is way better than the God of my imaginations. The God of the Scripture says that when we go and we make this request, God will give generously to all without reproach. In other words, God welcomes us into his presence with those requests. And not only does he welcome us into his presence, but then he provides his wisdom. He provides his perspective. Now, how does he do that? I believe most often he does that through his word. We pray and we ask for God's wisdom and then we read God's word and we see his perspective on the world in which we live. So our prayer is not just a one-way declaration, but it's a two-way conversation. We go before the Lord and we ask him for his wisdom and then we open the word and we read his response. God provides through his word. Friends, God also provides revealing his wisdom through his people. Others who have grown in that maturity and completeness, who understand this and can tell us what chapter and verse to read so that we might find it. 
This is why it's important for us to, to still gather in Zoom groups, but that's, that's not all of what God has in store for us, is it? I mean, it's not just to look at a screen. It's not just to send text messages or emails. Those are helpful and valuable things, but being together with God's people, we're able to lean on their strength to have them help us see God's wisdom and his perspective revealed to us. This is how God provides his wisdom to us when we ask in response. But what about what James says next? He says, as we make this request, we're to ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And again, this is a verse that people use to mean all kinds of crazy things. To say that the reason why the cancer wasn't healed was because we didn't believe enough. I mean, beliefs like that don't take into account the fact that trials come from a number of different locations and that all of us will die of something eventually if the Lord does not return. This verse is not talking about getting the stuff that we want. This verse is talking about getting the perspective that we need. We go before the Lord and we ask him for his perspective, but when God delivers that perspective through his word, through other people, if we are unwilling to believe it, it will do us no good. That's, that's what James is saying. He says, what good does it do for God to give you his wisdom if you're not going to believe it when he delivers it? You know, if it was about a thing, I can receive a thing for Christmas and I can use it even if I doubt how valuable it might be. I remember back in 2001 when I came on staff at Wildwood, I was given a cell phone and I thought at the time, who needs a cell phone? Believe it or not, I really thought that. Now it's like attached and grown into an appendage on my arm. It's a whole nother issue, a whole nother message. But I was able to use it even before I knew what I had. Even though I doubted it, I still had it. James says a perspective isn't like that. A perspective does you no good if you merely hear it, but you don't believe it. In the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this trial, if we desire for our lives to grow and to be developed, for our spirits to be strong and to be robust, then friends, we need to do the math. And we need to understand what God is producing in us through this trial. We need to see it as he has defined it. And if we can't see it that way for any reason in this time and in this season, then what are we to do? Then we are to get on our knees and we are to pray for wisdom that he would produce within us that which we need. Friends, are, are you there today? We're going through a multicolored trial trial with health, trial with anxiety, trial with the economy, trial with relationships, trials with addictions. We're going through a number of different things. What are we to do? We're to do the math. And when that math shows an answer that is hard for us to imagine, we're to pray that God would reveal it to us. And then we believe it in faith that our lives might be continually shaped into the image of his son. The wrinkles pressed out so that Jesus Christ looks great living through us. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to 
gather today and to look at your word. We, we come into this season, and we really do, Father. We desire not just to survive this spring, but to thrive in it, to grow. And Father, we know that that, that growth that you want to do in us is something that you can do, and even something that you specialize in doing in the midst of challenging and difficult days. Father, we're in a multicolored trial. We just want to count it joy because of what you're doing in our lives in this moment. Father, for any who are here today who struggle with seeing the world and the universe and life this way, I pray that you would provide wisdom for them and for me, that we would see the world as as you have created it and as you have intended it to be. Father, and that we would believe it and live accordingly. Father, I thank you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.